Randy Tobler, Truth Warrior, Woke Destroyer on News Talk STL. Well, every once in a while, we like to get together with Dr. Michael Bussler, professor of finance at Stockton University, and, and get the skinny on what's going on with this crazy, crazy progressive economic policy. Numbers in uh, the jobs market, good last Friday, but inflation, not good. Just look around on the supermarket shelves, the gas stations. And uh, he always is able to package it and un- help us understand it. How you doing, Professor Bustler? Great to talk with you. I'm doing very well, Randy. Thanks for having me. As you know, it's always my pleasure to be here. Well, I've uh, been watching your work on uh, Newsmax, and I'd recommend people look you up there on Newsmax Finance, and they can uh, navigate to you. It's B-U-S-L-E-R, Michael Bussler. Um, And you think that Biden's gas policy, when it comes to to, to that issue, is the right idea, wrong action. I want to go there first in terms of inflation. And uh, he recently announced, what, a million uh, barrels a day he's going to release from the Strategic Oil Reserve. What's the deal? Right idea, wrong action? Explain. Yeah, so um, basically what what the problem is in the energy sector is we've had a reduction in supply. Uh, we're producing in the U.S. about a million and a half barrels a day less than we were producing at the peak. Uh, so uh, why, why is that? Well, the Biden administration, as soon as they took office, they decided the country would be better served if it was weaned off of fossil fuels and presumably onto renewable energy. So he canceled the Keystone pipeline. And by the way, had he not canceled it, it would be uh, oil would be flowing through it today. But he canceled the Keystone pipeline. Uh, He uh, rescinded the permits to drill on federal lands and he rescinded the permits to drill in Anwar, which is off the coast of Alaska. He also made the permitting process very difficult. So uh, as a result of those actions, we've had a reduction in the supply of uh, oil and fossil fuels. And when demand goes up and you have a reduction in supply, the price goes up. So uh, the president says, well, look, I understand there's a supply shortage. So I'll take some of the oil out of the strategic reserve, put it onto the market. That'll increase the supply. And that should bring the price down, he says. Um, now, really, what what's going to happen? And it's unfortunate he's got the right idea, but again, the wrong action. Uh, what he really should do is reverse all of his uh, energy policies. Um, renew the permit for the pipeline. It'll take about 11 months for it to uh, start producing oil. But he could allow drilling on federal lands again and allow drilling on Anwar and ease up on the permitting process. That would be a permanent increase in supply and that would permanently tend to uh bring bring the price down the other problem with using the um oil from the strategic reserve president trump filled the that strategic reserve up and not only didn't it cost them anything they paid him to do it you may recall back in april and may of 2020 uh when the economy of the u.s and the world was shut down there were oil tankers pulled up to port and people wouldn't buy the oil so the um oil producers needed the ships back so they started to drop the price of of oil so people would take it the price got to a negative number it got to negative 37 dollars a barrel so trump Mm. said I'll take all you'll give me. So he filled up the entire strategic reserve, and not only didn't cost anything, they paid him to take the oil. 
So now he's taken that oil that had a negative price, and he's eventually going to have to replenish it, and it's going to cost probably $100 a barrel or more. That's $18 billion uh, he's going to have to replenish. So it was the wrong thing to do, and... uh, yeah. yeah, it's really not going to help the problem. So, so how does that work again? How do, how do you get a negative price on oil? Help me understand that again. I'm confused. So there's, there's, there's tankers of, of oil, filled uh, tankers, big ships filled with oil. They pull up to the port, and uh, people said, look, nobody's driving cars. The economy's all shut down. Um, so uh, we don't have any place to really store this. We, we don't want it. So they, the price at the time was about $45, $50 a barrel. So they started dropping the price. Price wow. got all the way down to zero. Nobody would still buy it. Then they said, well, I'll tell you what, we'll pay you to take the oil off the ships. And that's exactly huh. what uh, Trump did. And he filled so, up the, the reserve. It happened yeah, in uh, so April, it, May of 2020. So if you look at it from the from the ship uh, the shipping line owners they had to staff those ships they probably had to keep the utilities on the ships going it was costing them to sit there and not offload the oil and and so it was a savings for them to give it away really right from their perspective yeah. at that point yeah and, and worse yeah. yet they need to ship back because they're continuing to produce oil and when the yeah. oil comes out of their facilities it has to go somewhere and if they don't the ships don't come back there's nowhere to put it so they, they said look we'll pay you to take the oil <laughs> that's that's really really neat I, I i had not heard that but all i was going to ask you about now look you know we're giving a we're giving away oil that certainly was cheaper uh, than whatever the price was and i didn't realize negative price that we got paid for but it was cheaper when it was filled up and now it's going to cost you know oodles of money to, to to restock it and it's a temporary fix what about the okay so the democrats would say to you jen pasaki would say well, there's 9,000 leases out there. Drill, baby, drill. We're not holding anyone back. It's those evil oil companies. And what about that gouging, Dr. Bustler? I think you're just a, you're just a tool of the GOP. Come on now. We, we, if the oil companies want to produce oil, they can drill on those leases. And, um, you know, that, and, you know, if they wanted to, they could really ease the pain for Americans. They're just gouging those poor Americans that we're looking out for. What does Michael Bussler say? Okay, so what's wrong with that? There's a little over 40,000 leases that the federal government has given out to to drill on on land. Now, the the oil companies, you're not 100% certain that there's oil in any of those uh, in the ground where those leases are. So what do the oil companies do? They hire geologists. They tell the geologists, go out there, do your thing and drill around and, and tell us what's the likelihood that there's oil there. So some of them, they say, hey, there's an 80, 90 percent chance there's oil on it. So we start drilling there. You get down to the last 9000 leases and the probability of finding oil might be only 30 or 40 percent. And then they make the uh, permitting process more expensive. And then Biden tells banks not to lend to oil companies because there's no future in oil, he tells them. So it's very expensive, and there's a good chance you're not going to get oil in those um, leases. Look, look, the, the oil companies are motivated by profit. There's no doubt about that. If it's profitable, especially when oil is over $100 a barrel, if it's profitable, they're going to drill every place they can possibly drill. But to go up where these 9,000 leases are, to go through a very complex and costly permitting process, to have trouble getting financing, and then to only have about a 30% chance of finding oil, it doesn't make any, any sense. 
So they're, they aren't going to drill there. Now, with regard to the price gouging, there's no such thing as price gouging. There's no what? Such thing, there's no such <laughs> thing as price gouging. Price gouging occurs when the market price is higher than you think it should be. So look, they they produce a hundred uh, barrels of oil, and they charge a uh, hundred. They, they produce a hundred gallons of gasoline. They charge four dollars a gallon for gasoline. Two hundred people show up to buy the one hundred gallons. So how do you decide which hundred to sell to? Just the way everybody would do it, you simply raise the price until 100 people dr- drop out of the market. So prices are high because there's so much excess demand in the economy, and we've restricted the supply. So you end up with 200 people showing up to buy 100 gallons of gas. The price is going to go up. Look, if oil companies could price gouge, why don't they do it all the time? And the answer is they can't price gouge. They charge a market equilibrium price based on the amount that they can profitably produce and the amount consumers are willing to purchase. Biden says he's going to help people. He's going to pay for the gas for them. He'll send them money to pay for the gas. That's going to make the problem worse because that will, again, increase the demand for uh, gasoline and, and drive the price up. They're not price gouging. Now, they testified uh, yesterday. How, how much profit did you make this year? They said to Exxon, well, we're going to make $23 billion this year. They said, well, you're price gouging. And he said, well, you know, last year we lost $24 billion. So they're not price gouging, and they're not making excessive profits. To take a look at the average of the, yeah. the last few years, you want to get the price of, of fossil fuels down, increase the supply of the product, let the American companies drill where there's profit to be made and will increase the supply and the price will come down. Boy, I tell you, that was an economics 101 course in about uh, five to 10 minutes there that every student should be uh, just mandated to take. That should be like a, 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 re- a prescribed and required course, no matter what your major is. <laughs> that's yeah. that's brilliant. Uh, so we're talking with uh, with Michael Bussler, who, like I said, is able to really distill economic principles down and apply them to us. OK, so. Um, we understand now about gas, and if only they would just allow the market to work and allow people to drill to you know to produce profits in order to continue wanting to invest and take the risk. It takes profits to drive risk and taking risk to produce the goods and services we need. I get that. What about um, economy? Uh, inflation crazy. Jobs up four hundred thousand last uh, last week. Uh, Inflate and now recession drums are beating because the Fed's talking about raising the rates more than they've done, more rapidly than they've done. Uh, if I'm an investor, if I'm a uh, maybe a guy that wants to do a startup, or maybe I have an existing business, I'm Mr. Pillow, but I want to expand now beyond all my other things that I make. Uh, and I'm thinking, I don't know what is what is the businessman that drives this American economy and uh, and uh, hires more people? Uh, what is he thinking in this environment? Environment or she. So this, there's more uncertainty this year than there pro, than there has been probably in many years. So why are people? Why when the economy looks like it's growing, why are people talking about recession? And that's a very good question. And here's the, here's the answer to it. The Federal Reserve's job they have three goals. They're supposed to keep prices stable, that is relatively low inflation. Uh, full employment, keep unemployment rate down under 4% and have the economy grow as fast as, as, as we can. For the last year, 
The Federal Reserve forgot the first goal to keep prices stable. They should have taken action a year ago, and they wouldn't have to have taken such drastic action today. Now, why do I say that? The the best measure of inflation at the consumer level is the consumer price index. Historically, that is before last year, the consumer price index goes up about two-tenths of a percent a month. So if it does that for 12 months, you're looking at about a 2.5% inflation rate for the year, and that's about what we're used to, to seeing. Now, back in January of 2021, the CPI went up three-tenths of a percent. February, it went up four-tenths of a percent. March, it went up six-tenths of a percent. April, it went up eight-tenths of a percent. They should have seen back then we have an inflation problem, and they should have stopped their bond-buying program, $120 billion a month, and they should have started to nudge up interest rates instead of leaving them at zero. But instead of doing that, they said, oh, don't worry about this inflation. It's a temporary. They use the word transitory. It's a transitory problem. As soon as the supply chain is fixed, it's going to go away. So they didn't do anything. By last July, in total, the economy was producing at the same level as before the pandemic. So while there may be some supply issues in certain markets like imported goods and computer chips, there may be some supply issues in the aggregate, economists would say, in total, the supply was not the the issue. And once the supply came back, inflation didn't uh, go down and indeed uh, kept going up. So the answer is, the question is, why do we have all this inflation? There are four reasons for that. One, we just talked about the energy inflation. The Biden uh, policy was to reduce the supply that drove up energy prices, which means not only do we pay more for gas and oil, but business pays more to produce the product. So they have to charge more for their uh, output. And even retailers get everything brought in by truck. That's going to cost more. So, number one, energy inflation. Number two, for whatever reason, even though we're producing more today than we did before the pandemic, we're doing it with about a million and a half fewer workers. So to get these workers to get come back to work, they've had to raise wages significantly. Um, now, people would say, well, that's good. People, uh, uh, workers are making more money. Yeah, that's good, except now labor costs for business has gone up. So that tends to put upward pressure on prices. So number two was wage inflation. Number three, uh, on the excess demand side, the federal government in the last two years has spent nearly $6 trillion more than they brought in in tax revenue. On a $22, $23 trillion annual economy, that's purely inflationary. And fourthly, the shockingly irresponsible monetary policy from the Federal Reserve, leaving interest rates at zero all year and continuing the bond buying program all year has led to such excess demand that's contributing to Inflation. So the four reasons we have inflation, energy inflation, wage inflation, excess government spending, and uh, loose monetary policy. As a result of the Fed waiting so long, now inflation, it's running at an 8%, 7.9% rate February to February. The March number will be out next, I think, uh, April 12th. 
you're going to see almost a 1% increase in the CPI in a single month. That'll take the annual rate up to about 8.5%. And I think by June, we're looking at a 10% annual rate. So what's the Federal Reserve going to do? They're going to have to get very aggressive and start raising interest rates much higher and much faster. So next year at this time, interest rates will probably be about 2.5% higher than they are today. The danger is if you raise the interest rates too fast and too much, It'll take too much demand out of the economy and bring on a recession. And that's what. Okay, bingo. Let me stop you there. Okay, there's where I'm troubled. Okay, we know that it has been a seller's market when it comes to workforce. I I know from the healthcare industry, trust me, I know intimately. But in every industry, people, there has been uh, wage inflation like crazy, even though it hasn't matched, uh, you know, price inflation. So now. Fast forward to suddenly demand goes down because the Fed overdoes it. And I don't see any way that they that, that this doesn't turn into a recession, but I'm, I'm hoping against hope. So now here I am, an employer with, I've hired up because demand has increased, pent up demand from the COVID unnecessary lockdowns. I've had to pay more and more and more, 20% more for my labor. And now I've got all these people on the payrolls, but no one's coming into the store. Now what happens, Michael? Now, now you have a problem because uh, we, we say wages are rigid downward. In other words, you can raise wages, very difficult to reduce wages. You're not going to say to these people that they had to have high wages to lure them back to the market. You're not going to say, hey, I'm going to have to cut your wages 10%. That just doesn't work. So what's going to happen? You're stuck with high costs at a time when if the Fed overreacts at a time when you have declining uh, demand, and that's going to mean that business people are squeezed, they're going to see losses, and they're going to have to cut back on what they do. Again, contributing to the inflation. That's the. But if you see, but if you, but that I, I okay. So I'm. It's either it's either I can't cut the people that I have hired. I can't. It's not realistic. And if I do cut them, at least for a short term, they're going to find somewhere else. They're going to they're going to resign. Well. That means I lay people off. Then we're going to have massive unemployment. And then we go through the government giving more handouts for unemployment. We go through the cycle all over again. No, that's what that's what happens when you have a recession. The Federal Reserve waited too long. And as a result of that, they're going to have to be aggressive. And that could bring on a recession. And once you start bringing on a recession, there's sort of a multiplying. It's like a snowballing effect. Demand goes down, so you have to lay off some people so they have less money to spend. Demand yeah. goes down a little further. And then yeah. you're right. The federal government's going to have to start doing something uh, to end the Whoa, recession. Man. I can't imagine them spending any more money that they don't have because the public debt is already $31.5 trillion. Yeah. Hey, well, uh, I, I appreciate you weighing in with us. This has been a fascinating discussion. Now, I I think as a professor of uh, of finance at Stockton University and a public policy analyst, um, I think a teacher's greatest um, reward is when the students can actually offer something of interest and something useful and almost teach the professor. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. I so as your students, as your student, my producer and I have come up with something just while you've been talking. We learn. We learn in real time. We Excellent. actually made an emergency call to Jen Psaki at the White House. And we found out that you missed one element as to why gas prices are high. And I just thought I'd share it with you because I know all good professors are all great learners. So here's Absolutely. Jen Psaki. Here it goes. 
Well, we've seen the price of gas go up at least 75 cents since President Putin lined up troops on the border of Ukraine. I'm there again. There was a global pandemic. I had a flat tire. Inflation. I didn't have money for cab fare. The impact on the supply chain. My stocks didn't come back from the cleaners. Obviously, global events. An old Frenchman from out of town. As well as global inflation. Someone stole my car. The uh, price hikes as a result. President Putin's further invasion. A flood. Oil company executives. <laughs> that from the Blues Brothers. We thought you'd enjoy that. You forgot to mention it's all President Putin's fault. Didn't you know, Michael? <laughs> you know, the inflation numbers we have so far were all taken before February 24th. So none of the inflation we have today that has been reported has anything to do with Putin. Now, to be fair... Much of the inflation we're going to see going forward um, in energy, and what I'm really worried about is food prices, but what, what we see going forward, you can contribute that to Putin. But up until now, none of the data released um, has anything to do with Putin. Well, I, I wanted to have a little fun and throw you a high-hanging curve there because I know you would hit it out of the park, and you did. Thanks a lot, Professor Michael Bussler. It's always great to talk with you. Thanks for giving us of your time, and we look forward to another discussion very, very soon. Thank you, Randy. Always my pleasure. Look forward to doing it again. Well, I tell you, he is a professor extraordinaire, and every high school student, every college student, every uh, probably grade school student, and certainly the White House and all of the Congress should have uh, uh, studies with Michael Bussler in terms of Economics 101. Hope you enjoyed that. And he's a good sport about having some fun with, this is Putin's inflation. It's Putin's inflation. It's the oil company. I'm glad he really got at it there. And when we come back, we are going to talk one more time about the Will Smith and Chris Rock incident, the slap heard around the world, because, of course, we have Max Foisy, our resident expert movie critic here, and uh, to wrap it up, what it means as to what the uh, Academy did with Will Smith yesterday. Pretty interesting. They really handed it to him. We'll talk about that straight ahead here on the Randy Tobler Show. Lots more coming up. Virginia Cruda at 745. Stay tuned. Let's talk a little bit about what happened yesterday. The Academy and what was described, Max, from Max on Movies, Max, what Max on Movies at Twitter, right? Isn't it Max on? Yeah, Movies? it is. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I was fascinated because there were some there were some things embedded in the reporting that I think we need to unpack, and you you know all the inside and out of this. Uh, we talked a little bit about uh, what Will Smith's and anyone's uh, membership in the Academy means. It's a pretty prestigious thing. It's by invitation. You know. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then they met in what was described as a pretentious meeting yesterday morning in the one report okay. that I saw. Not well, sure what that means. Okay. And then they banned him from any events, not just the Academy Awards itself, but any event for 10 years. Tell us more. Yeah, so uh, Will Smith knew this was coming or something like this, or his reps knew, and of course they went into damage control trying to protect his brand because you are nothing without your brand. And that's not just for actors, that's for everybody. It's for broadcasters, it's for everyone. Uh, You know, if you want advertisers, if you want audiences, your brand has to be uh, spick and span. And he damaged that with that slap that was seen and heard around the world. And uh, and so he was really worried about getting banned. He, he, he was worried about exactly what happened. 
moment. So he resigned, and I think he thought, well, now nothing will happen. And as I pointed out off the air to you, Randy, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, they're not in the Will Smith business. They're in the Academy business. And they've kept this institution going for almost 100 years. Cinema itself is only about 110 years old, and the Academy Awards have been around for 94 years. So (laughs) So this organization has been around for almost as long as the art form itself, and they're not going to let anybody tarnish that image as they approach their centennial. And so they went ahead and had this meeting. I don't know if I would call it pretentious. I mean, that's interesting editorializing. Uh, But they had a meeting to try to do something punitive towards Will, basically in an attempt to bring some civility back to their organization. They love the pomp. They love the circumstance. The last thing they want is to be mentioned in the same breath as your American Movie Awards or your Blockbuster Video Awards or your Golden Globes, which, of course, the Golden Globes have been entirely canceled now because of back deal trading and payola and things like that. And so they're really worried about that. They're worried about other skirmishes happening. There's never been an assault at the Academy in 94 years. So they went ahead and met anyway and decided to put a a decade-long ban on Will Smith. Now, what does that mean? Well, for you and me, it means nothing. But for Will Smith, this means that he won't be invited to any industry get-together sponsored by the Academy. They have special screenings of upcoming films. They have lunches. They have networking things. For somebody in the industry, especially as big as he is, this is a giant deal because his colleagues, his friends, the other producers, they're going to be going to these meetings – and oh yeah, Will can't come. We're already seeing a lot of fallout from this. He, he was going to be starring in a, in a motion picture uh, that was going to be uh, uh, directed by one of the John Wick guys uh, for Netflix. That has completely fallen mm. apart. That is not happening now. He had a production deal, I believe, with Hulu that was going to greenlight something. That has fallen apart now because people don't want to be in the Will Smith business as of right now. What will happen? Will his career recover? I don't know. I was a little surprised that it's only a 10-year ban. But I think the Academy wants to see what happens with the brand of Will Smith in that next decade. You look at people who were leading men of the 80s. You had Mickey Rourke and you had uh, you know, uh, Mel Gibson. Neither one of them are, are leading men right now. This has happened with Will. And uh, the brand of Will has been completely decimated now because of his own actions. People are asking if why wasn't his Academy Award rescinded. I don't think the Academy wants to get into the business of taking back awards from people who've done bad things, because certainly that would be a lot of people in the uh, (laughs) Academy. And people were also asking, well, how come Roman Polanski gets an award for Best Director for The Pianist, uh, and yet Will has been banned? Well, anything that somebody does in their personal life, whether it's Harvey Weinstein, whether it's Bill Cosby, it's very different than doing something at the Academy's party during their broadcast. So that's why that band comes into place. I'm not trying to come across as, let's play a violin for Will Smith. He made his bed, he gets the lion. I don't care either way. But for people rolling their eyes or saying this is a slap on the wrist or it doesn't mean anything, they simply don't know the industry. This is a gigantic thing that really will penalize and effectively end this man's career. Well, I'm, thanks for the analysis. And yeah, I read one story that said pretentious, which means like they were really going to, you know, uh, be highbrow and send a message, uh, you know, we, which I think is a good message. I like the message. It's like this is this is not acceptable. There's enough. Uh, there are enough verbal uh, 
um, anomalies that occur in the Academy Awards mm-hmm. that people put up with. Um, and we've seen their ratings go down, I think, largely mm-hmm. because America is tired of seeing woke preaching at the Academy Awards. Not, not all Americans. There are mm-hmm. Americans that are woke and they want to see that. But I think uh, the body politic at large doesn't want that. But also contentious. So I, I, I got the sense in one reporting that there was some, there may have been some disagreement there. But see, I, I didn't realize until you had explained it to me that really they don't care about, quote, franchise players because there's plenty of those people in the wings and they're not out to protect anyone. They're out to protect their brand and their integrity. And it was important they make a very clear and swift and severe statement. Well, right? and that's why you see projects not moving forward. That's why you see production deals falling through. Because think about how doggy dog and, quite frankly, backstabbing Hollywood is. Or any major industry. There are plenty of people ready to take those phone calls and ready to top line those movies that have a better relationship or the potential for a better relationship with the audience than Will Smith does now. Nobody's going to be in his corner fighting to have him back on top. He had a 30-year run okay there you go and i'm not saying that he won't have parts of course will smith is still a gigantic name he's gonna he can produce his own stuff he can go direct to video he can he can eke out the living that many other actors have had once they fell from grace but make no mistake we will never see bad boys part seven we won't see men in black part eight that part of his career is over wow i mean that yeah i am so thankful that that this has happened in the in the wake of that incident. I mean, you know how at first there were a lot of voices, our own Chris Arps, we talked to him last week, you know, there were voices that mm-hmm. said, you know, well, it was an act of chivalry. But I think on balance, most people have said, wait a minute, that's over the top. There are other ways to be chivalrous to defend your lady you know the whole do you even need to (laughs) and it was just out of it was out of bounds i mean you go to an award show which are roasts i mean the whole idea of being a celebrity at one of those things is people make fun of you that that that's par Mm -hmm. for the course nobody was shocked that chris rock did that except that the joke wasn't very funny (laughs) but other than that nobody was shocked because that's what you do you you go there you get roasted you get your award you go home that's why it was such an egregious act because it wasn't like he was uh, at, at at some solemn event. He wasn't at a funeral yeah. where that would have been out of line. This was expected, and that's why his actions were so unexpected. Yeah. I have seen a lot of reporting, though. A lot of people shocked about the ban, thinking that 10 years is far too long, uh, and I, I find that interesting as well. But rest assured, people who feel that way, this doesn't mean he can't be nominated for an award. It doesn't even mean he can't win. Again, look at Polanski. He's he's banned and he won. Uh, so, yeah. So I, I think Will's going to be just fine. I wouldn't cry too much for him. He has his mansions. I think he's OK. Well, yeah, it's not it's not going to like I don't think he's going to join the homeless in L.A. No. I don't think that's going to be no, a problem for Will and Jada. Not at all. Uh, that's crazy. So I have a question for. Uh, well, I tell you what, we're going to talk to Virginia Cruda here. Yes. But my, one of my questions for her will be. There are some outrageous things going on, and I'm, we're going to play some sound from a, a jury selection process down in Florida for the Parkland High School shooter. Um, and I'll uh, and I, it, it, then we're going to ask Virginia the question because she's a an intrepid uh, writer, a journalist, reporter on the T- Daily Wire. Are the outrageous things that we see and hear people doing all the way from Will Smith to everyday man and woman on the street? doing saying have those always gone on in that outrageous way or are people acting out more and more 
you know, is it is it just an exposure and a media, you know, 24-hour cycle and, you know, the, the amateur media that is social media now with everyone having a cell phone? Are, are people's sensibilities and civilities being lost? Are we shedding our civility? I want to ask Virginia about that. And we'll talk about that when we come back, along with other things like the Ukrainian, uh, well, the, the horror over there where the Russians hit a train station and uh, killed dozens and dozens and dozens of uh, civilians. On the Randy Tober Show, when we come back, Virginia Kruta coming right up. Stay there. Quarter till the hour, quarter till eight in the morning. Where is the morning going to? Well, I always look forward to our talk, weekly talk with Virginia Kruta talking to us on the road today uh are you in the people's republic of georgia is that right virginia is that what i heard <laughs> yeah no i i'm in the free state of georgia man the gas is cheaper here it's uh it's it's nice it's um until I, until stacy until stacy abrams is elected governor so enjoy it while you can i thought she already was <laughs> but okay hey, all right so i want to play a little sound for you because we just got talking about will smith and about people feeling it seemed the question on the table virginia is is our is our society becoming more and more reckless with our individual behavior and enabling of it and accepting of it and validating of it maybe even encouraging of it um or is it just being is is the light being shown on it because of the the work that that you and people like you uh, are doing on the Daily Wire and other you know now the 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 new media basically and I wanted to play something for you in terms of people just doing outrageous things and not having a second thought about it and I know you did a story on it this is a little clip from the jury selection process in the Nicholas Cruz trial he's the guy who did the Parkland shooting and the judge is part of the jury selection process and the woman tells the judge why she doesn't want to be on the jury it was jaw-dropping and so was the judge's reaction take a listen there's dates in 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 july that you're not available what are those dates seven july fourth which is closed and july 18th but then again i need to figure out something i have my sugar daddy that i see every day i'm sorry my sugar daddy Okay, I'm not exactly sure what you're talking about, but well, I'm married and I have my, my sugar dad. Okay, and I see him every day. All right, ma'am, we'll come back to you. Okay, thank you. <laughs> So she's she's like I'm married and and on these days I cannot be there because I have my sugar daddy and I see her. now that would have I don't I can't imagine anyone ever saying that in days gone past or were they saying things like that and now it's just being reported what say you Virginia Well I think that people say a lot of a lot of things to get out of jury duty that's number 1 so let's <laughs> let's, let's give that the qualifier people people will say a lot of things to get out of jury duty um and but but I think that it is interesting that the judge was probably more surprised than anybody else who heard that. Because you have to know that eventually somebody in the jury pool is going to be that person. Because that, I mean, there there are those people out there who who actually think this way, that I have to see him every day. This is part of... <laughs> You know what? I I don't understand it because it makes zero sense to me. But I I don't I don't know if that's really on the same. That's just kind of one of those crazy things that you know if you call 160 people in a major metro area to do jury duty and then you interview them, you're going to get some crazy ones. Um, 
I think that that's that's really all that is. As far as society leaning toward justifying violence and justifying this behavior, um, I think that it is moving in that direction, but it's moving very quickly in to, to, on one side. On because yeah. you remember all the conversations um, about um, Nick Sandman and how um, the, the Covington Catholic kids. And how it was socially acceptable to say I'd punch that kid in the face, right? And there was there was a CNN contributor who said it and didn't get, and nothing happened to him. I don't think the well, even came to, down to be months to later. be fair, Virginia. To be fair, I mean our our former president Donald Trump was fairly loose with the lips when it came to beating people up, and so was Joe Biden. I'd like to take, yeah, I'd take him behind, I'd kick his butt. You know, I mean, take a listen to this. Here's a a, a groomer who wants to normalize LGBTQI plus um, in the classroom. Listen to this. Um, That's what we build relationships with our kids. And in order to build relationships, you talk about your home life. You talk about what you do on the weekends. That's building community. I, it scares me to death that I am not going to be able to have these conversations with my children because they're going to ask me what I did on the weekend. I don't want to have to hide that my partner and I went paddle boarding this weekend because mm-hmm. then they ask, well, what does partner mean, Mr. Bernard? And, you know, I, I'm worried. Can I tell them what it means? So I don't remember, Virginia, my, child, uh, my children nor myself when I was in second, third, fourth grade, knowing anything about my, my teacher's private life. Maybe I would hear like, oh, um, my family went to the zoo. Let's talk about zoo animals, kids. It was not, we didn't talk about, you know, me and my partner went to paddleboard. I mean, we didn't, the people are just, are just out there with everything these days. Well, I mean, first of all, I think, I think there's a, the line, I think the Florida line is a pretty good one, that kindergarten through third grade line, because that's the age where kids still think their teachers live at school. Like, that they don't, they don't even go, there's, what do you mean you go home after this? This is where you live, you know? And <laughs> I think that at that age, a lot of kids really, I mean, a lot of kids believe that. Or, you know, they don't, they don't necessarily make a connection that the teacher has a private life outside of the school. And for the teacher to infuse that into the classroom, it's, it's weird for me because, like, my youngest goes to a, the school that's attached to our church. So she sees her teachers, even when she was in kindergarten and pre-K and and whatnot, she'd see her teachers at church. And so she knew that they had families and they had other other things that they did. And she'd see them places other than school. And that that was normal for us. But I think that when you're talking about, well, I'm going to tell my, you can just say, I went paddleboarding this weekend. You don't have to bring the partner into it. If you want to talk about it, then you, they can say, what's paddleboarding? Okay, that's actually a lesson that, you know, they might want to know about that. You know, they don't care who you went through. And, uh, you know, I don't know what to, what to make of his need to share that other than that's on him. That's not the kids. You know, they'll ask questions and they'll, um, they'll, when they're here. And I don't think that the law even bans him from answering questions. It just means that they can't have a classroom instruction on 
So he can't, like, he can't explain in detail. He can just say, um, my partner, the guy who lives with me. That's all he has to say. He doesn't have to go beyond that. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I, I wonder if you had any thoughts about uh, some, well, it broke overnight on Eric Greitens' um, feed, Twitter feed. He simply tweeted, we caught them citing a Missouri Supreme Court uh, judgment that uh, sides with John Solomon in the Sunshine Law case against the St. Louis prosecutor uh, about alleged, uh, you know, some things that I think this is conflating um, two different things. One is, did the alleged misconduct with the woman in question, the tryst, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, did that occur? And what does it tell us about his character as opposed to Kim Gardner and her, you know, uh, association right. and so forth? You know, so two different things in the Greitens campaign, I think, is trying to sort of connect those two dots. What do you think? Uh, I think that there that two things can be true at once. One, Eric Greitens can have behaved badly with regard to his his wife and the other woman involved. And. Kim Gardner can be a bad prosecutor who only prosecutes when it's politically advantageous for herself. Right. Okay, I think good. you can you can say that both of those things are true at once. And for Eric Greitens to suggest that the one means the other didn't happen is ridiculous. Bingo. Yeah, that's that's that. that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Hey, well, thanks for helping us unpack that. And, and I'm glad that you you're keeping an eye on these cultural issues as well as the hardcore, you know, economic and border and everything issues. And I hope people stay in touch with you on the Daily Wire uh, where they can navigate to uh, all of the great stories that you're doing there. And um, I as as uh, your boss, Ben Shapiro, likes to say, you know, culture is upstream from politics. Right. And uh, it's definitely true. So thanks, Virginia. Have a great weekend. Appreciate you every week. All right. Thanks. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. And, you know, in the recent polling, Greitens uh, brand uh, has his stock price has fallen a little, but he's still up there in the top two or three between Eric Schmidt and Vicki Hartzler and um, and uh, himself. So we'll have to see where things go. I uh, don't know where it's all going to all going to roll out. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see what voters decide to do, what you will do come this August primary. I was at Lincoln Day's um dinner last night big banquet well attended in uh, columbia and um vicky hartzler made a, a a nice talk uh bill Irwin, who's from the lee summit area also talked uh you know a lot of great uh, great candidates and i think uh, we have great opportunity eric schmidt was not there last evening however but it's interesting eric Reitens was invited and did not show up to that uh, event so and there weren't a lot of people bemoaning that fact either which i thought was interesting there were not a lot of people that i uh, could uh, discern either in their public reaction when it was announced that he was invited but didn't come nor in private discussions so um we'll talk about that more as the show rolls on both today and through the weeks todd bensman joins us at the top of the hour to get a border update stay there guys hi that my partner and i went paddleboarding this weekend because then they ask well what does partner mean mr bernard and you know I, i'm worried can i tell them what it means 